Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Summerland, I just heard you're going. Why are you going? Oliver said that you're meeting a guy there. Yeah. It's that guy, isn't it? That's so cool. So you two met online, right? Yeah, on a, on a dating website. Why a Christian dating website? It started as a joke at first, and then Sean messaged me. He's different, you know? He likes me for who I am. Except the part where he thinks you have a vagina. So what girl are you using? Oliver's girlfriend. You are such an idiot. I know. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovich, and this is episode number 291. Out now on video on demand is Summerland, a coming-of-age comedy in which three friends embark on a cross-country road trip to a music festival. Along the way, they confront hard truths and discover who they really are. Joining me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is a co-director of Summerland, Noah Kentis. Noah, I thank you very much for your time today. Of course. Thank you for having me. So this movie was actually shot back in 2018. So how does it feel now that it's out there for the public to watch it? Uh, very cathartic. It's very nice. It's like been such a long time coming um, since we shot it and you know we've edited it so long. We've done so many different passes. I mean, it's just gone through so much work and so... It's finally uh, out and it's really nice to, you know, let the people have it and not let it be ours anymore. (laughs) You co-directed the film with Curtis David Harder, who is a very prolific filmmaker in his own right. Um, But however, you guys um, are credited as Lanky Boy. I'm just curious, what was the inspiration behind having that name on the credits as opposed to having both your names together? Um. (laughs) it kind of was a joke. I mean, both of our physical appearances were very skinny and tall. So it kind of just turned into this idea that as one, we are lanky boy. Right. <laughs> and uh, as lanky boy, do you, um, do you foresee future projects being made under that same moniker? Um, yeah, potentially we we've talked about working on more stuff and, you know, we just kind of have always imagined different projects, even stuff related to this. So potentially. So Curtis has done, lots of movies, lots of films. Um, you've worked uh, quite a bit as well, more with short films and video clips, um, video music um, uh, clips. Um, but this is your directorial debut. So how did you become involved in the project in a dictor- uh, directorial sense? Um, so Kurt initially started the project. He wrote the script like five years ago. And um, then there was a time where Kurt and Chris decided to keep developing the script further And so that's when I came on and he had me, you know, start writing on it. And we sort of all brought together like different people to now write on this same project. So I started writing with them. Um, And then as we got more and more into it and realized that it was possible to make the movie, um, we had just talked about co-directing it because we thought that would be a lot of fun. And also a big part of that is that the fact that, um, there was going to be so few people on set, you know, it was only six of us. So having me sort of as his only crew member, it was then, you know, we decided it'd be easiest to both direct it. When you approach, get onto the movie in regards to writing the screenplay, 
What do you bring? What did you bring to the movie that wasn't there yet that you think was really beneficial to the final product? Um, hmm, that's a funny question. I mean, we have to go back so long. I think one thing that I kind of push for is to have those really goofy scenes that um, just kind of add this really fun element to it. Like, for example, the the hypnosis scene with the character Kefra mm-hmm. um, was something that I kind of wanted to bring in, to like you know, just expand on that whole side of the genre that's like you can now do a lot more and make it kind of fun and ridiculous and also the uh the uh, it's funny the um the scene where the guy robs the grocery store with a wooden plank yeah. that's actually true that's a true story that chris had told me about when we were in pre-production that was something that he actually had seen and so when that came up i was like oh we have to put that in the movie and that's something i kind of fought for that we ended up doing <laughs> I read that um, the movie was really was inspired by those kind of road trip movies of the early 2000s. Were you a fan of those movies as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of my favorite movies is Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. And something I really like about that movie in particular is tonally how it, it's so funny, but also so real and dramatic and beautiful at the same time. So there's something to that movie in particular that I loved about the tone. And that's something... I think we all kind of wanted in Summerland. We wanted it to have the split tone that worked well without being too obtrusive and weird. You're right. Yeah. And one thing I know I, I really loved about Summerland as well is that there was a, there's a sentimentality and a sweetness to it as well. Like those early 2000s road trip films um, can be just a little bit too immature at times. But I find that even though your film can get goofy at times with some of the scenes you were mentioning before, there's a sweetness that really grounds the film. And I thought that was really cool as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as as it was important to have those goofy scenes, it was really important to have those sweet moments and that touch upon real things that people could actually relate to and things that maybe are happening in people's lives that uh, is very real. And, you know, that's how people relate to this movie and, and can feel uh, the message that's coming across. Now, make, the making of this film is really interesting. I mean, it really is kind of guerrilla filmmaking. So you have uh, a small cast and crew. You said it was around six people. Um, mm-hmm. You buy this low-cost Sony camera, and you have the open road in front of you. I mean, shooting the movie that way, that must have been quite an experience, especially for yourself as it's your feature film um, directorial debut. Yeah, and I honestly wouldn't have it any other way for this movie because it was – you know, half of it was making the movie and then half of it was the experience of making the movie. Um, just because, you know, it's such a dream to go on a road trip with, you know, five of your best friends and just experience that. And it's kind of fun to have this sub goal of creating a movie and, you know, like shooting something and being creative while doing all of this. I also read that you shot a lot of your scenes without a permit. And considering the film stops in a lot of places, you went to Seattle, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Portland, and other parts of Los Angeles as well. When you go out there and you shoot in this kind of way without the, you know, the, the paperwork, et cetera, um, does that cause issues? Or do we now live in a world where everyone has a camera so hardly anyone notices? Yeah, it, it honestly didn't cause a lot of issues because it, it was so easy to get away with. Just, you know, having that camera be so small and so inconspicuous, it really just went by as a breeze. You know, we never got in any trouble. Well, it, besides once, we never actually, for the most part, we never got in trouble shooting in these locations like the Space Needle or the Vegas Strip or in the hotels. Uh, 
funny enough, the only time we ever had any trouble with, you know, security telling us we can't shoot there was in some random parking lot in LA. (laughs) So it's, it's just ironic that all these big places that you would think would be really hard to shoot in were kind of the easiest places to shoot in, but some parking lot of a grocery store was tough. (laughs) I have a feeling that long gone are the stories of like, um, um, filmmakers from like the exploitation filmmakers from the seventies and eighties being chased by cops with their huge film, film cameras running around the city. I think those days, a long gone behind us don't you reckon yeah it's just so easy now it's so easy to make a movie with cameras that are so tiny i mean you can shoot uh a movie on your phone now and it would look legitimate enough that you could play it in a movie theater um so there's no real you know it's not necessary to have these massive cameras anymore you can still get away with so much visually with so little um and in that case you know you're not getting a lot of attention from like people just walking by. You're not getting attention from cops or security. It's so easy now. And the film looks great as well. Like when I read that, um, that this was the way you shot the film, I had no idea because it just looks so fantastic on screen. Yeah. You know, it kind of turned into this experiment of like, can we make this movie look like a legit movie? You'd go and pay to see at a movie theater, but do it with, you know, a consumer camera and two people behind the camera. Um, and I, it's by the sounds of it, it sounds like we were able to do that and no one would ever really bat an eye and think that this was such a low budget movie. Considering the positive experience you had in making the movie and the way that it turned out um, visually wise on the screen, do you think going forward that type using that type of technology is the way forward for you as a filmmaker? Um, Yeah, potentially. I mean, everything that I've shot up to this point, I've really liked having low crew, you know, just like a couple people and pretty intimate just because it's, you can move so fast and, you know, you can experiment so much and you can get so much content. And I'm, I, I think I'm seeing more and more filmmakers go that route. You know, it's, mm-hmm. there's not a necessity to have so many people on set anymore. Um, and it, yeah, it's definitely a process that I enjoy a lot. I want to talk about the cast. So you really need, with a film like this, the way that it's being made, you really need a dedicated cast because they're doing those kilometres with you. They're on the road with you every every sense of the time. Um, so Chris Ball plays the, a part of Bray. He also wrote and produced the movie. Uh, but then you also have Rory J. Sapper as Oliver and Maddie Phillips as Stacey. Um, in regards mm-hmm. to Rory, was that character of Oliver, um, was he always a Brit or was it something that you just had to change in regards to the casting? No, yeah, the original script, he, the very original, original script like that Kurt wrote five years ago, he wasn't. Um, and then once Kurt and Chris met Rory, they kind of were like, oh, this is the guy to play Oliver. Um, so pretty early on, he did become a British character, and we kind of started to write in that, um, that B-plot of him, you know, his visa expiring and him, him having to leave the country. Um, and it kind of worked as a perfect beeline story because it it parallels Bray's in a certain way you know like having the secret and hiding it Mm. um and it kind of blowing up in your face at the end so that did kind of become sort of an essential part of the movie in regards of having Maddie Phillips in the film, I mean, the timing for the release is really good because she's just doing such great work now, um, especially in TV. Uh, she's making a real name for herself. herself. Um, getting her to play the part of Stacey, uh, kind of like the third wheel in this kind of relate, uh, this uh, friendship because the characters of Bray and Oliver are so tight. They're, they're like the best of friends. Um, when casting Maddie for that role, what was that process like? 
Well, Maddie was a friend of Rory's actually. So um, he suggested her. And when we started talking to her about it, it was obvious that she would nail it. And I think she's just so excited about working and doing things like this that we knew she would be game to do the road trip and, you know, spend the time and, you know, do those kilometers with us. Um, so she kind of worked out perfectly and yeah, she's incredible. She's a great actress. I want to talk about the character of Bray just for a little bit, because the role of social media plays a very prominent part in this movie. Um, in regards to him, um, it's really interesting. His character is someone who's very comfortable in his skin. He came out to his family. There's a, there's a scene in the movie where he talks about coming out to his family and, like, he told him, you know, that he's a young gay man. Um, he doesn't hide who he is to, to anyone, family or friends. But when it comes to going online, he puts on a different persona. I find that a lot of people actually do that sometimes. Either they say too much or they say, uh, they say something else in a different person's voice. Um, why do you think it is that people just want to sometimes change their personalities online? Yeah, I think that it's like when you kind of go online and you start having this online presence, it's almost like moving to a new town where nobody knows you because you now have this sort of reset button where you can show yourself in a completely new way and pretend you're someone else. And I think Bray is like taking to that, that to the extreme and like trying to use this as a tool where he can now sort of get what he wants. And like he says in the film, it, it's like it started as a joke, but then he, he runs into someone that actually has a connection with him and he like experiences something with, um, but it's still through this mask. And that's where the issue really lies is that he went so beyond um, making a digital persona of himself that he kind of cut himself into this corner. That's really messy. You know, usually road trip movies, it's all about um, how people change through experience. And I think the character of Oliver definitely feels that uh, throughout the movie yourself. um, uh, When it comes to this movie, Noah, um, when you go through those, do you do the kilometers, you put in the hard work, you have your experience in making your first film. Does that change you as a person as well as a filmmaker? Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to answer your question, it's like, yeah, this experience was a lot. I mean, even just in terms of, you know, as a filmmaker, it's the most I've ever learned within such a short amount of time about filmmaking and like how to do it, especially in the pre-production process of planning and making sure we had everything set to go for a road trip it was weird kind of like planning out oh we're going to be in san francisco in like three weeks so we're going to be doing this when we're there and we're going to be doing this when we're there it's like planning out a really intense family vacation or something Hmm. but um but while doing it while making a movie so yeah i think i definitely came out of it the other end as like a completely different person especially even just with the people that we were with it's like being around everyone leaves an impact on you. It's like, we kind of made this little family in those, you know, couple weeks, seven weeks. Um, and they're all such great people. So it's like, excuse me. It's like, they really left an impact on me and just taught me so much. Um, so even in that regard, I felt completely changed. Well, for everyone out there, Summerland is available on video on demand. It's a beautiful movie, uh, Noah, and I really congratulate you with your um, feature film debut. And um, whether it's part of Lanky Boy or on your own, I really look forward to seeing what you do in the future. So congratulations to you and congrats with the movie. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.